Our second reading comes from Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 15. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? that is, to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is, to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith we are proclaiming, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's over 30 years since I started out as a student, and uh, when I began, we we, we stayed in a three-story student house, all blokes together, lovely wooden building, oldest house in London Bible College as it was then, which had a single payphone on the ground floor, and every so often you had to take it in turns to be on phone duty, and that meant staying in that particular evening and uh, answering the phone whenever it rang then finding whichever one of the 30-odd students that lived in the house it was for, knocking on the door and saying, it's for you. It's for you. I used to say that all the time when I was growing up and the phone answered. House full of people, someone would go and answer it, find out who it was for, come in and say, it's for you. We don't say that anymore. Everyone's got their own phone these days. People, if they want to talk to you, ring you direct. But as a boy, it was kind of my job to go in the hall, pick up the phone, find out who it was, who they wanted to talk to, come back and say, it's for you. That's Paul's message here in Romans 10. It's for you. He zeroes in in the first person pronoun in verses 8 to 9. The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified or put right with God and with your mouth that you confess and are saved. It's for you, Paul says, writing to the Romans 2,000 odd years ago. But tonight, here in this place, the Holy Spirit wants to say, it's for you. Paul cites Deuteronomy chapter 30, where Moses says that what he is commanding is not up in heaven, so that you have to to ask who is going to go into heaven and get this word for us. It's not beyond the sea, so that you have to say, who's going to go beyond the sea and get this word for us? No, Moses says, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart, so that you may obey it. Who's Moses talking to here? Deuteronomy is basically one long speech delivered by Moses to the people of Israel before they go in the promised land. So in one sense, that is who Moses is talking to. When he says the word is near you, it's the Israelites just before they enter the promised land. He's saying goodbye to them. This is his farewell address. He's going to be dead in a chapter or two. These are his closing words to them. The words he wants to impress upon them. And yet when you read what he says, it's apparent that these words aren't really for that generation as much as as, as they apply to a generation which is to come. The generation that's been in the land and been sent away into exile in Babylon for, for their sin and the sin of their fathers. Because Moses talks about, you know, if the Lord your God sends you into a distant land, wherever that may be, he will circumcise your heart. He will bring you back. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under heavens, even from there, God will bring you home. And he will change you so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, so that you will live and that you will prosper. The words are directed not for the generation about to go into Canaan for the first time, but to the generation exile centuries later. Moses' words reapplied to them. God will restore you. This word is for you. And yet even they are not the prime focus of this passage in Deuteronomy 30. Because what you don't get in the English translation is that in Deuteronomy 30, the the pronoun you throughout those verses is singular. Everyone sits in the plural, Moses addressing the nation as a whole, whether it's the nation going into Israel for the first time or the nation in exile. But these words, these words are you, singular, the reader of this book, the individual that hears these words. These words are for you in Deuteronomy chapter 30. At this point, the author of Deuteronomy wants to address his readers directly. It's not, yeah, it was for the generation that first entered the promised land. Yes, it was for those who came out of exile. The words were valid for both of those generations, but the point is, it's for you. Here and now, the people who read these words, the people who hear them, these words are for you. And so centuries later, Paul takes these words and applies them to the church in Rome. Words written by Moses in Deuteronomy, whoever wrote Deuteronomy, put the words in Moses' mouth for one generation, for the next generation. Paul takes them, applies them to the church in Rome. 
And here tonight, in Horsham, in 2014, the same words come to us. It's for you. It's for you. Sometimes we can make the mistake of thinking, God's not interested in me. His promises are for other people. Somehow, I don't matter to God. And Paul says, no. This word is for you. And maybe you're not sitting in in Brighton Road Baptist Church here on Sunday evening, the 10th of August, 2014. Maybe you are listening by podcast at some later point, somewhere else entirely. And God says, it's for you. It's for you as well. No one is excluded. And if up until this point in time you have felt as if you are an outsider as far as God is concerned, as if you don't belong or you don't count, then it's especially important that you recognise that these words are valid for you. For you personally. You see, God's righteousness is not for the privileged few. It's not for those who make the grade, those who come up to the required standard, those who dress properly when they come to church. Some of us have to. That was the problem with the law. The nation of Israel took seriously what Moses had said about the person who does the commandments of the law will live by them. They knew that God had given them the law. They knew they'd been called to keep it. So as far as they were concerned, they were God's righteous people. And the effect of the law was to create an us and them situation. There were those who had the law and kept it, and there were those who did not. There were the righteous, and there were the sinful. The effect of the law was to create an us and them situation. But Paul says God's righteousness is bigger than that. He even goes so far as to say that Christ is the end of the law. Why? So that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. It's not an us and them. It's not a privileged few insiders and the rest of the people who don't count or don't matter. There is no moral high ground occupied by a select few who can look down on the rest of us struggling and failing to stagger up the steep and slippery slope in order to join them. There is no insider and outsider. There is no us and them. There is not even any good and bad. Christ abolishes such distinctions. He is the end of the law so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. No matter who you are, what you've done, where you've been, how you feel, it's for you. It's for you. Being right with God is not about what you do. It is about what you believe. And it is about believing that all that stuff that Jesus did on the cross. Dying there, bearing sin, securing forgiveness, bringing eternal life. Faith is recognising he did it for you. Did it for the world, yeah, that, we, we, we can accept that. But faith becomes personal where we think, yes, he did it for me. That's where faith comes in. It's about believing that Christ has done for you what you could not do for yourself. That's why he did it for you. 
He came down from heaven to bear your sin, to die on the cross, to rise again from the dead as Lord and Saviour three days later, having conquered sin and death for you. Could you do that? Could you ascend the heights of heaven? Could you scale the heights of heaven in order to bring Christ down? Of course you couldn't. It's beyond your ability to do so. But you don't need to. Because he came when you knew nothing of him and cared nothing for him. He took the initiative and came down to this world for you. Because he loved you. Could you go down into the depths of the earth in order to bring Christ up from the grave? Of course not. It is beyond your power. But you do not need to. Because Christ is risen from the dead as Lord and Saviour for you. Salvation then is not about what you can or cannot manage to do. It is about what Christ has done already for you and your willingness to trust him for that. Moses said, the word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Paul says that's the word of faith which we proclaim. It's near you. It's right here. It's not beyond your grasp. It's yours for the having by faith. The word in your mouth is the confession that Jesus is Lord. Short phrase. Big words. Jesus. Jesus is Lord. The first and earliest confession made by Christians, probably when they were baptised, it proclaims a change of ownership. Jesus is in charge now. It's a declaration of allegiance. Jesus is my Lord. It proclaims that our lives are under new management. It's an invitation, an opportunity to look away from ourselves, to stop comparing ourselves with other people, to stop fretting over past failures and mistakes, to stop worrying about whether or not we've made the grade, and to look at Jesus. Who he is. What he's done for us. And declare that my life belongs to him now. Most important confession you can ever make. Jesus is Lord. Earlier in the service, we had a time of quiet confession, admitting to God the things we'd done wrong. In Christian circles, we often use the word confession of confessing our faults. But confessing Jesus as Lord is more radical than that. In 1987, a cartoon appeared in the Saturday Review of Literature in which George Washington, as a boy, is standing with an axe in his hand Lying on the ground before him is the famous cherry tree. He has admitted that he chopped it down. After all, he cannot tell a lie. And his father is standing there saying, All right, so you admit it. You always admit it. The question is, when are you going to stop doing it? Confessing Jesus as Lord is the key to the start of living life a different way. His way. It's not just receiving forgiveness for the things that we do over and over again. 
It's finding in his acceptance of us the key to accepting ourselves and on that basis having the confidence to live our lives for him and to begin to break old patterns of behaviour, the cycle of failure and guilt, leaving that behind. Jesus' Lord means living my life for him now. A change in direction. We may still look at our lives sometimes and think we're not doing very well and that may well be the case, but the important thing is that our lives belong to him and he is in the process of sorting us out. Jesus is Lord. That is fundamentally what being a Christian is all about. And he welcomes all comers. He's not particular. Paul goes on to say that there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and he richly blesses all who call on him. There's no difference between people who are successful and people who aren't. Between people who are confident and people who aren't. Between people who are good and people who aren't. Between insider and outsider, the same Lord is Lord of all. And he blesses all who call on him without exception. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, says Paul. Not everyone except you. Everyone including you in particular. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, whatever you may have done, salvation is a single cry away. Save me, Lord Jesus. That, says Paul, is the word of faith which is in your mouth to utter it. And in your heart, Paul says, in your heart is the belief that God raised Jesus from the dead. That's a big ask, that one. That's a massive step of faith. But if you think about it, salvation includes eternal life. That is part of the deal. The belief that God saves us from death and damnation and and secures a place in heaven for us with him for eternity. And that's what Jesus secured for you through his resurrection. That's what opens the door to eternal life for you. Nothing else does that. So if you want to believe that there is a life beyond the grave for you, you you need to accept that the way in which that becomes available is through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And if you want to believe that God can do it for you, why not believe that he's already done it for you through his Son? Because that's the truth. God has already secured eternal life for you through his Son in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. The possibility of eternal life doesn't depend upon how well you do. Doesn't depend upon your ultimate performance review before the judgment seat of Christ. Because we could fail that. We will fail that. But it depends on Christ's death and resurrection for you, which has already taken place. He has done for you what you could never do for yourself. Secured your salvation, the forgiveness of your sin, your eternal life. The word is in your mouth and in your heart. It is for you, right here, right now. It's in your heart that you can believe and are justified or put right with God, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. It's God's word for you. He wants you to recognise that it is for you. He wants you to receive it as your own. Hear it. Believe it. Confess it. 
it's for you. Jesus is for you. Sometimes when I was a boy, I'd go and answer the phone, and the phone call would be for a member of the family who was visiting that day, and I'd go in and say, it's for you, and they would look blankly at me. They don't know I'm here. Sorry, but it's for you anyway. And maybe you're listening and thinking, can't be for me, there must be a mistake. He doesn't know I'm here. But he does. And by whatever means, if this message is coming to you, the Holy Spirit is taking these words written thousands of years ago, written for a generation going into the land of Canaan, reapplied to a generation coming out of exile, reapplied to the church in Rome, spoken to a congregation here in Horsham, but the Holy Spirit takes them, applies them to your heart. It's for you. It's for you that Jesus came. It's for you that Jesus died. It's for you that Jesus rose again from the dead. It's for you now to make the next move. How will you respond? Paul says, and he's absolutely right, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Anyone who puts their trust in him will never be put to shame. Those words tonight in this place, they're for you. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in the believer's ear. If you want to pick up on anything I've said tonight, I'm available for conversation afterwards. The prayer team are here. You know how to get in touch with me. Talk to a Christian whom you know and trust. If you think it's for me, what do I do about it? Have a word with one of us before you go tonight.